to Grace Church of Orange, and welcome to those who are watching on the live stream as well. As we say every Sunday here, we want to remind ourselves that we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, sacrificially serving Jesus, and making disciples, although I think I may have messed up that. Oh yeah, all right, well that's fine. The point is they're all there. Uh, If you would please uh, join us in our call to worship for Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 5 says, A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come on a Sunday morning to hear your word preached, to sing songs to you, to realign ourselves with what your purpose is for, for us here on this earth, which is to glorify you. Lord, we ask that as you hear our songs of praise go up to you, our, our calls for mercy to you, Lord, let you, let you see the hearts of your people pouring out and let it be a sweet-smelling savor to you. Lord, we love you. We want to serve you. Be pleased with what you see your children do. In Jesus' name.
Yes and amen. If you'd please remain standing for our scripture reading today, which will come from Ephesians chapter 4. Mike will be continuing preaching the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. In remembrance of prayer today, we are going to remember uh, Tom and Marianne Barlow, who are serving in Ohio, training up the next generation of missionaries who are going to go out and proclaim the gospel to those who have yet to hear. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you as a broken people, as those who are deserving of your wrath, and yet, Lord, those who have been called and redeemed, blessed by your name. And Lord, as we come to you, we do not demand anything of you, but only ask that you fulfill the promises you have already made by the blood of your Son, that we would be made into new creatures, ones that are worthy of the name that you've given us. Lord, we want to serve and honor you, and even as we come confessing that we have failed to live up to that, we strive to be better. We strive to be better for your name and your glory's sake, not our own. Lord, in your goodness, may we find rest. We pray for Tom and Marianne Barlow in Ohio. Lord, just give them strength to continue their ministry, to be able to raise up those who are going out, being sent, that others might hear the great and glorious good news that we do not need to be in bondage to sin. Lord, we ask that that message be heard here today. Give Pastor Mike the courage and power to speak exactly what your word says that we might understand and then empower us to do it. Lord, we love you. We want to serve and honor you in all our ways. Give us the strength to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father God, we come before you wanting to see you, wanting to know you, wanting to love you, and knowing that we've fallen short. God, help us to repent, to turn to you. God, to draw near to a God who offers forgiveness. And help us to live in obedience. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A.W. Pink once said, Thousands of souls who give no evidence of being born again are quite confident that Christ has saved them. There's a lot of people running around thinking that they are believers, and misunderstanding baptism is one of the reasons for some people's false confidence. Tens of thousands of baptized unbelievers roam the earth today falsely thinking that they are heaven-bound when they are actually hell-bound. Baptism is one of the most contentiously misunderstood Christian teachings ever, and God didn't make it confusing, mankind did. And so today in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to focus once again on oneness in Christ, and this time looking at the meaning and implications of one baptism. Hopefully we would gain an accurate understanding of baptism and why it's important, and how believers show their union with Christ and unity with other believers in baptism. And so we're in Ephesians 4 verse 5 today in this profound letter of Ephesians that was written to a, a city, a, a church full of new believers in a pagan first century city that needed Christian witness. And this letter still speaks today of the glorious grace of God in forming his church. It's focused on Christ, the cornerstone of the building uh, the head of the body, the husband of the bride. And we've seen in chapters 1 through 3 that this is what God has done in saving a people for himself. Uh, this is our position in Christ, believer. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, what we're seeing is here's what we are to do in response. Here's how we are to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how we are to act. And what we see in Ephesians 4, and right off the bat, and we're looking really at verses 4, 5, and 6, and then one phrase in verse 5 today, but verses 4, 5, and 6 give seven reasons why every believer, those in Christ, must be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this is what the context is. There are seven ones in verses 4, 5, and 6. We have already looked at three, and we'll look at a fourth today. Uh, let me just do a little bit of review in case you're new, or really review is good for everyone. Uh, we first looked at one body, uh, the church as a visible community. Uh, back in those days, pagans were choosing from a vast array of religious cults that they could follow. Christians are made members of one body. And the question you have to ask is, am I in that body? Do I love that body? Am I helping that body? Then we looked at one spirit. The one spirit that indwells the one body, you know, by him we live. And we saw that the spirit of God blesses the believer with salvation, uh, secures the believer forever, gives wisdom, uh, grants access to God, uh, builds the body up, uh, reveals the truth, empowers the believer to live. And then we saw how we are to respond to the Holy Spirit. 
that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit through unrepentant sin. We are not to uh, be you know, out there on our own. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And we are even to sing scriptural songs, which we have been doing, and praying, as we have been doing, and taking up the, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, as we are doing. And then we looked at one hope, that all believers have the same hope. That they all have this confident expectation of future good from God. And it's based on God's saving work in Christ. It is a saving hope. It is a unifying hope. It is a protecting hope. And you renew, get renewed in the spirit of your mind by uh, going back again and again uh, to the scriptures. Well, today we're looking at one baptism, and it's in verse 5, which says this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The reason I'm skipping ahead to one baptism is because we're having baptisms today after third hour, at the very beginning, at the very end of third hour. So we will look next week at one Lord, you know, Christ, the head of his church. We'll look at one faith after that, that in Christ, uh, the faith is given to all Christians by which we live. But today, one baptism. And so we're looking at that, only one baptism because there is only one Lord uh, who brings all believers together in the one body that's united by grace through faith. So the work of Christ at the cross, the work of the one Lord, leads to one faith in Christ, leading to one baptism. And, and, and that baptism signifies that believers have entered into union with Christ by faith, and that is signified by baptism. And even so, So that sounds simple, right? Well, even so, baptism has become a very contentious issue for many professing believers. There's different traditions. There's different understandings. There's there's different meanings and importance placed upon baptism. And so the misunderstandings are, are many and they are varied. And I'll just give you a couple of them. Some people think that baptism is essential for salvation. It's called baptismal regeneration. That They think it's essential to be saved. And it doesn't save you. You don't need baptism to be saved. But also some people think it's optional, you know, unnecessary. I can just choose to do it or not. I'm a believer, but I don't really need to get baptized. Well, that's not true either. It's not optional. And then some people think it's exceptional. And what I mean by that is that you just do it when you want to be more committed to Jesus. You've been a Christian for a while, and you're like, you know, I need to take the next step up to the next level of commitment. Now I'm going to go be baptized. And all of those ideas are, are wrong. The biblical model is believer's baptism, where we baptize only those professing faith in Christ. You profess faith in Christ and are baptized. And so here, one baptism is referring to water baptism by immersion following salvation. It is an outward symbol of an inner reality uh, based on the believer's identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's what we're talking about here. And by that single act, by the way, believers demonstrate their spiritual unity together. This is in the context of unity in Christ. Now, it's different. This believer's baptism by immersion uh, is different from the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit at conversion was alluded to in verse 4 when it says there is one Spirit. 
I'm talking about a spiritual baptism by which all believers are placed into the body of Christ. So let me just address that really briefly before we get into water baptism. But the timing and significance and effects of the baptism of the Spirit are very important to understand. The timing is immediately, not subsequently. Like you come to faith in Christ and you immediately have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any teaching that says that someday later or sometime later after you need the baptism of the Spirit is a misunderstanding of biblical teaching. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, and this is what's implied in verse 4, it says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So baptism or drinking, it's the idea of you put in to the body of Christ at conversion when you come to faith in Christ. What's the significance of that? Significance of it is that you being put into the body, this is where you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, this is the idea of sealing the promise of God to save you. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27 say, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that's not about water baptism. It, that cannot save. Put on Christ here is a metaphor for regeneration, for the dead becoming alive. And, and it's, it's in a metaphorical manner being used in, in terms of being immersed or put into Christ spiritually. That's what happens when you get saved. You can also look at 1 Peter 3.21. And that verse is, a, is one that's caused a lot of people a lot of misunderstanding. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this. And by the way, God is not confused. He didn't create the confusion, but we make confusion by reading things wrongly. So it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, and this would be the ark in the flood back in Noah's day. That was the example being used. Baptism, which corresponds to the ark in the flood, now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from the flesh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So people will say, wait, I got baptized in water, so that saves me. That's not what this is saying. In fact, Peter doubles around and says, now, just so you don't misunderstand me, this is not about water on your body. So this is not about water baptism. It's a figurative immersion or union with Christ as, as if you will, the ark of safety from the judgment of God. So corresponding to, baptism corresponding to the ark in the flood. So now we're using an earthly expression of a spiritual reality, a symbol or a picture of spiritual truth. What is it? It is the fact that eight people went through the flood unharmed. And that's like salvation in Christ, who is the ark of our salvation. So the judgment of God for our sins fell on Christ like the flood on the ark. And the believer in Christ is in the spiritual ark that will escape judgment and go on to eternal glory. So he's, Peter even says it's not the removal of dirt. Don't misunderstand. We're not speaking of water baptism. In the flood, they were kept out of the water while those in the water were destroyed. And so being in the ark saved them from God's physical judgment upon the earth just like 
being in Christ saves you from hell. And he said it's about a good conscience. It's, it's about agreeing with the covenant of God. And, and what saves you, if you're hounded by your sins, what saves you is not some outward right you do. It's not dipping in water. It's, it's, by, it's faith in Jesus and trusting his death and resurrection. Now, what is the result of the baptism of the Spirit? It is sanctification. It is wanting to be holy. It is wanting to, to follow Christ. In Romans 6.1, it says this, Are we to continue in sin? That grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's the idea of the new life you have in Christ. That's why some people mix up salvation and say, uh, excuse me, yeah, salvation and baptism. And they somehow think that, you know, I got saved, but when I got baptized, that's when I really started knowing Jesus. That's when I really started following Jesus. So this is not referring to water baptism. Baptized, again, is being used metaphorically. Um, it's like when you say, I was working so hard, I was immersed in my studies, or I was immersed in this pursuit, or, I, or, or some people will say, I, I underwent a baptism of fire when I went through that problem. Um, and all Christians were spiritually immersed into the person, Jesus Christ, united, um, identified with him. Colossians 2.11 says similar, in him, in Christ, you were circumcised. Now we're using circumcision as an example. With a circumcision not made with hands... Um, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the, wonder, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. You don't get forgiven when you get baptized, you get forgiven when you're put into Christ. Circumcision was symbolizing man's need to have his heart cleansed and the outward sign of the cleansing of sin that comes by faith. And at conversion, believers, they go through this a spiritual circumcision that puts off the body of sin of the flesh. It's the inward new birth. It's regeneration. It's the new creation. And then the outward acknowledgement of that reality is a believer's baptism in water. And what verse 5 is referring to. Baptism in water by Christ's command. And this is what we'll focus on now. And if we're talking about believer's baptism, we have to at least go quickly to John the Baptist and his baptism of repentance. Because that led the way then for Jesus to institute believer's baptism. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John comes on the scene and says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repentance is a gift from God that is evidenced by a radical turning from sin, and then the fruit of that repentance comes out in your life. And the baptism of John had its roots in the Old Testament purification rituals, like in Leviticus, and the people were repenting in anticipation of the Messiah arriving. 
Now, Jesus' first sermon, which is in Matthew 4, 17, he starts off with the very same words. Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Christian baptism differs from John's baptism. In fact, you see it in the book of Acts chapter 18. They, people, they, they ran into some people who were only familiar with John's baptism, and they got baptized as believers, okay? Um, Christian baptism changed the significance, and it symbolizes a believer's identification with Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, and what water baptism does is it pictures the reality of the transformation of the believer by God. And so believer's baptism is, is, a, is your public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why does this matter? I'm going to give you five crucial aspects that you need to know about believer's baptism that will help you see the shape of it, the, the contours of it, really the nuances of it, and really the, the clarity of it. So the first thing I will point out is the priority of believer's baptism. Why is it such a priority? Because it was commanded by Jesus. That's why. Jesus commanded it. In Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands it. The apostles called for it, the church from its inception practiced that. So baptism is commanded for all believers as a symbol of your new life in Christ, uh, the symbol of the dead being brought to life. You were given faith to believe and respond to the gospel call. You were put into the body of Christ, and your baptism as a believer illustrates that, pictures that. So, and then, secondly, the prerequisite of believer's baptism is this. Something needs to happen before you're baptized as a believer. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to surrender to Christ. You need to trust your soul to Christ. Because the reality that baptism illustrates is the regeneration of the soul, the believer's union with Christ, uh, that, that you have the Spirit of God. And, and you see this, 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 this pattern in the very first uh, New Testament reference to believer's baptism. In Acts chapter 2, and if you go there in your Bible to Acts chapter 2 and follow along with me, what you'll notice is Peter stands up boldly and authoritatively on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the word of God. He's tying it into Christ. He's saying, this is about Jesus Christ, and he tells them all about what Jesus did at the cross, and you get up to verse 37. You know, right after he says to them, you need to know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced in their hearts. It, literally, they were convicted of their sins. And Peter hears this, and the rest of the apostles hear it this. Here's what they say. What must we do? That's the best response. When, when you hear the word of God and you, you're called to something, what, what do I do? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized. So believe, have faith in Jesus, turn from your sins and turn to Christ and be baptized. 
Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says, for the forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't mean so that you will be forgiven of your sins when you get baptized. You're forgiven when you repent and believe. And then because of that, you're going to be baptized. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the the moment of, of conversion, you have all of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He goes on and he says this, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There's God's election of who he will bring. He will call to himself. And and it's for not just you, but your children who hear the gospel and believe it as well. He made it very clear, you're to repent you to believe, when you see repent in scripture, it implies faith. When you see faith, like in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, that implies repentance. So turn from your sins, turn to Christ, and be baptized. And he said it very personally, every one of you that's listening. And it says, with many other words, he bore witness. And he continued to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then we read this, those who received his word were baptized. Those who received the word were baptized. You believe, then you get baptized. Now, if we baptize someone who doesn't profess faith in Christ, we're going to undermine the purpose that baptism is represented. But what you need to ask yourself today is, Is my hope anchored in Christ? Like, do I have Jesus? Do I believe in Jesus? Or or is it in my family? Or is it in my, my, you know, career? Or my wealth accumulation? Or possessions? Or achievements? Or recognition? What What is my faith in? What is my hope in? Your hope needs to be in Christ. And the prerequisite of believer's baptism is believing in Christ. Number three, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of believer's baptism? It's a desire to obey God. It's to obey Jesus. The person that professes faith in Jesus must be willing to publicly declare their new life in Christ in obedience to the Lord Jesus. This is what the Bible commands. Now, we all know this. Circumstances may cause a delay between profession of your faith and baptism, or even no baptism. Something might happen that you don't get baptized. Let me give you two examples. Everyone will go to this too, uh, thief on the cross. And people will say, I don't need to be baptized because the thief on the cross believed and wasn't baptized. I'm like, he didn't have an option. <laughs> okay. You have an option. But there's another situation. Maybe you become a believer and you die right away. You don't get baptized. Your soul's not in jeopardy in that regard. A friend of mine was once driving and he was um, coming up to some train tracks. And the car in front of him tried to beat the train and didn't. And the train um, collided with the car. My friend gets out of the car, runs up to the scene, and there he sees a young man whose life is expiring. He's dying. He preaches the gospel to this young man. This young man professes faith in Christ and then dies in his arms. By the way, from that moment when I heard that story, it was in the mid-1980s, I have not crossed a train track without thinking of that. The thief on the cross, if you die at the scene of a crash, baptism 
doesn't give you salvation, so your soul's not in jeopardy if you don't get baptized. And yet, a believer in the Lord Jesus, who has an opportunity but is unwilling to be baptized or even indifferent to it, is disobedient to Jesus. Like, what other command of Jesus will you choose not to, to obey? Like, this first step of obedient discipleship, if you pass that by, what other command will you say, it's optional? Because the acts of obedience that you do as a believer are the fruit of God at work in your heart. Number four, what's the pattern of believer's baptism? Well, I'll give you a few words here. Trinitarian is one, and immersion is another. So Trinitarian baptism of professing believers by immersion in water. The, the, the word for baptized, the idea of dipping into water, going into water. Trinitarian, why, why do we say it's Trinitarian? Because it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the saved have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why when you're getting baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you don't have to wait some other day as if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You already got the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father at the moment of conversion, not the moment of baptism. It's just referring back. Now, if you've been around Grace Church any length of time, what you realize is that we dip people three times, once each in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. You might go, why is that? Because all these other churches do it, do one dip. Why is that? It's called trine immersion, threefold. Why do you do that? Well, the, the early church understood Matthew 28 in the idea of baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They understood that as three distinct actions. And even as church history would corroborate that, that was the practice. That's what we still follow. But I will say this. No one was going to go around and go, you were only dipped once, or you did three, and somehow, no, no, no. The, the, the mode is not the thing. What it is, is whether it's one dip or three, it is still Trinitarian. It is in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus commanded. And what you're doing when you're, when you're bat being baptized, and you see this biblically, people gave testimony of faith in Christ. Uh, you, you know, I once was lost, now I'm found. That you always be ready to give an answer for the hope that w is within you. And at, even at the moment of baptism, you say, this is how God has changed my life. You know, because you, you, you baptize a believer who's had their life changed. Not someone who had some bait and switch. Not someone who, you know, said, well, you know, Jesus gets me. Jesus understands me. I can keep living in my sin and nothing changes because it's like those, he gets us acts. No. Jesus doesn't just get us. He saves us. He forgives us. He redeems us. He transforms us. He renews us. He secures us. He changes your life. So when you give a testimony of faith, you're like, this is what my life was like before. It's, it's like 1 Corinthians, such were some of you. But I was saved from the power and the penalty of sin. I'm not perfect, but, but I, I, I serve a perfect Savior. And a fifth aspect of believer's baptism, the pairing or the partnership of believer's baptism. Like, what does it go with? What's it paired with in Scripture? You know, like you say, oh, I'm going to eat this food, and it pairs well with this, and all of that. What is 
believer's baptism paired with in Scripture. It is paired with church membership. Church membership. Now go back with me to the day of Pentecost, where the church was birthed. The Apostle Peter stands up, boldly, authoritatively, preaches the gospel, points people to Christ as Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God pierces their hearts. They're convicted of their sins. They cry out, what do we do? And, and by the way, again, best response when you hear the word of God is ask, what should I do? And they were told to repent, which implies belief, and be baptized because of the forgiveness of their sins. And it says this in Acts 2.37. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Where, where were they put? Where were they added into? The brand new church. The church in Jerusalem. Through the adding in of new believers there on the day of Pentecost is the first instance of church membership. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what did he say? Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. You see, you make the disciple, you baptize them, and then you take a long time teaching them. After people come to faith in Christ and are baptized in obedience to Jesus, Teaching, then, is done in fellowship of a local church. And sometimes that goes wrong. Let's just give an example, a biblical example of, of a local church where that went wrong. How about Corinth? And how about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17? You know, the church at Corinth were being corrected left and right for getting the Christian life wrong. The first correction was, you got church membership wrong. Here's what Paul says, I appeal to you brothers, literally brethren, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's who he is and what he does, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, you, you to be united in mind. And then he says, it's been reported to me that there's quarreling among you, that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, or, or I follow Christ. He's like, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's like human leaders were given loyalty that belongs only to Christ. That's what the church was doing. They were elevating even the notably gifted. I mean, Paul was not option one for most of them. Like, we don't like the way you talk. We like the way Apollo speaks better. He's better. Your, your speech is contemptible. Not just the way, what you say, but how you say it. What did Paul say? Hey, church, I'm really thanking God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Oh, yeah, and Stephanus' family as well. But I'm so glad that, that you all can't say, I was baptized in, in Paul's name. Not a part of Paul's church. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He's not saying that people shouldn't be baptized. What he's saying is God does not bless private personality cults. This epidemic of the personality cult then as now. No, Paul was called to preach the gospel and bring people to oneness in Christ. You know, not start a club of people who say they were baptized by him and taught by him. 
So the first correction of the church in Corinth is pointing to their faith, their belief in Christ, and linking baptism with those who taught them because they were saying, I'm in Paul's church. I'm in Apollos' church. Let's also, we'll stay in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about members of the body. The Greek word there is melos, and it means body parts. And the same word is used in Ephesians. And the metaphor is of members of an actual body, and it makes a lot of sense, but whenever melos is used, it's always used in the context of a local church, of a local assembly. And so believer's baptism, by immersion in water, was the church accepting and confirming the testimony of a believer and bringing them into fellowship in a local assembly. Well, they become part of a local body of believers. And, and there's no formal process outlined. We, there's freedom there. But the natural outflow of, a, of Jesus saving a person is you believe, you're baptized in obedience to Jesus, and you come into a church under the care of a group of elders. And it's preferable if you get baptized as soon as possible after coming to faith in Christ. That's the biblical model. You, bapti- you get baptized right after belief, and then you spend a long time being taught and observed in a local church. So it's preferable that you get baptized as soon as possible after coming to faith in Christ and join the church upon your testimony of faith. Those are two humble, faithful, obedient, repentant acts that are seen concurrently in Scripture. You see them happening together. And, And what it does is it gets you on the path of accountable spiritual growth right away. You're not an independent contractor. The elders of a local assembly are charged by God to keep watch over the souls of the believers under their care. The New Testament doesn't know any examples of someone getting baptized by a church and not uniting with that church in worship and witness. There's only one example I can find that was very unique in the book of Acts of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And if we understand the story correctly, what had happened was the Spirit of God orchestrates this, this meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and the, the eunuch gets saved after hearing the gospel. And he even says uh, at one point as they're traveling along, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he gets baptized right then. And if, if we understand it correctly, then God orchestrates Philip to, to, um, to be caught away somewhere else. And the eunuch goes home, presumably to start a church where he lived in Africa. Well, the first time a baptized believer going to Africa. And back home. So you want baptism and church membership to be as close to the scriptural pattern as you can, not individualistic. We like to stylize everything just for ourselves. But the church baptizes you into membership in a local body. And it's based on your spiritual baptism into the universal body of Christ. This is why we require believers' baptism for members. You can't find an example in scripture of someone brought into a local church without baptism or, or some condem- commendation where there's a letter from a church saying they're, they're coming from us to you and, and we acknowledge that they are a believer. That's why I have the privilege of when someone moves, I write a letter to their new church and to their elders and say, I know this family, uh, they're, they're faithful and, and I've known them for this many years and uh, accept them uh, with, our, with our blessing. You know, interestingly, church shopping and church hopping wasn't a thing in the first century. And you say, okay, 
what do I do? What do I do about this? What do I do right now about this, about baptism? Well, let me put two categories if you're a believer or you're not a believer, okay? So if you're not a believer, what should you do? Hearing all of this, uh, repent and believe, okay? Believe, uh, turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, believe that he died for your sins in your place on the cross, and he, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and he's coming back for those who love him and, and worship him and serve him, and that you should surrender your life to Christ. You should, you should trust in Jesus, now, if you're a believer, every believer should be baptized as a believer. So you, you should be like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. If you haven't been baptized and as a believer and you're a believer, you should say, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And, and what Philip said was, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He's going to extract a testimony of faith from him. So you should be baptized as a believer, if you are a believer. That you should be baptized if you are a believer and have not been baptized since coming to faith in Christ. Why? For all the reasons listed above. Listen to the sermon afterwards. Just, I'm not going to repeat myself, but just everything I've already said for those reasons. Now, you should also be rebaptized. If you are a believer, and without a profession of faith, you were previously baptized. I'm going to break that down. You should be rebaptized if you are a believer, and without a profession of faith, you were previously baptized for all the reasons listed above. And I'm going to address two cases in particular, maybe two and a half cases, if you will. First, if you were baptized as an infant. Um, and I'm not going to get into... Uh, the churches that baptize infants and think that it saves the infant. Okay, we're not getting into what the Catholic Church teaches or anything like that. What I want to talk about is a believing parents that baptize their infants in public declaration of a commitment to raise this child to love Jesus and obey the word in covenant community. So I, I want to address that. Many believing parents do that, and they baptize their infants in a in a in a, in a wonderful public declaration of their commitment to raise their children to love and serve Jesus. And it's similar to child dedication that we practice. But in both of those instances, the parents are, are bringing the children publicly under the care and the prayers and the blessings of their God-fearing family and the covenant community. It's a wonderful thing that they do. But if you were baptized as an infant by believing parents, what should you do? Here's the first thing you should do. Thank God. Thank God that your parents know Jesus and that, that you, you have this wonderful group of two parents that, that they, they wanted you to experience the blessings of being part of the covenant community and that you've been brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You should thank God for that while knowing something. That at the point that was done for you, you had not experienced the reality that baptism illustrates and that you were not regenerated at that time. You did not have the Spirit of God at that time. You weren't put into the body of Christ at that time. And that once you come to faith in Christ, the Scriptures indicate that out of obedience to Jesus, the right thing for you to do is to be baptized as a believer. And the reason why is because now 
you have experienced the reality, the regeneration and the union with Christ that baptism illustrates that you didn't experience as an infant and that your believer's baptism will, will represent accurately the picture that it was intended to, that you've turned from your sins, you've trusted in Christ, you've publicly declared your faith in the order that Scripture gives, first belief, then baptism. And one other, if you, you should also get rebaptized if you were baptized as an unbeliever and you knew you were doing it. You knew it was happening to you. You were conscious of the fact that you were getting baptized. Now let's say that you got baptized as a 10-year-old and then at age 18 you say, I don't really think I was a believer at age 10. Now what I would say first is 18-year-old you might not remember 10-year-old you as much as your mom and dad do and so you might want to do some checking. But if you truly believe that you were not a believer then, you should get baptized in the correct order. First believe, then get baptized. Well, and by the way, one baptism doesn't mean only one. And it doesn't mean that you need believer's baptism over and over again. It just doesn't teach either one of those things. The other thing I would say is this, is that, and this would be to anyone who's like, I'm not ever going to get baptized, no matter what anyone tells me about anything. I'm going to say, oh, you will be baptized. Everyone here, everyone listening to these words online, you will be baptized. There's no way around it. God has already said it. You'll be baptized. How so? In this way. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist was talking about Jesus. He says, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Baptize with fire. Okay, so there's three types of baptisms right there being referred to. One with water under repentance, John's baptism symbolizing cleansing. And then he said with the Holy Spirit, that all believers are spirit baptized due to your faith and repentance, which should be followed by believer's baptism. But then he says with fire. With fire issues without this, with, with, throughout this context as a means of judgment. And what this is speaking of is the baptism of judgment upon the unrepentant. If you never repent of your sins, if you never come to faith in Christ, you will be baptized. And you will be baptized in fire. With the judgment of God. Every believer should be baptized in obedience to Christ. By so doing, you're showing your union with Christ you're showing your unity with other believers and baptism is an outward expression of your new life in Christ because of the shed blood of Christ and the power of the Spirit uh, to please God. You want to obey Scripture and all of that with a clear conscience before God and man. And you might say today, well, what does it really matter? Now I'm going to leave. And what does it matter for me? I'm going to forget what you just said. What does it really matter? The silly water requirement. Is it optional? I'll go back to this idea. If you're picking and choosing which of Jesus' commands you won't obey, you're on shaky ground, folks. And if you can't do the first and simplest, who's to say you won't fail the test later on? Baptism is the first test of your faith. The church agrees you're saved. You agree others are saved as you're watching their baptisms. And obedience begets obedience. Because what Jesus calls you to is far more than baptism. He's calling you to an undeniable cross. 
death to yourself and to show forth Christ's greatness. And, and we know all Scripture is profitable. We know that this Scripture we're looking at today is profitable for us. We must apply it to the issues of, of, our, of our hearts and of, of this age. We know of all the evils that are, that are in the world and even in our hearts at times. But you take all Scripture, you apply it to the situation, and preach it, live it, and obey it. So I have to say this. We're talking about baptism here. And we have made baptism into things the Bible does not say that baptism is. We have made baptism into things that the Bible does not portray it as. That something essential for salvation? No. You know, being baptized makes you a Christian just as much as walking into a library makes you a book. I mean, oh, and something optional you only do if you feel like it? No. Or how about this one? Oh, something exceptional that you do. Like, hey, now I'm really ready to follow Jesus and be committed to him, even if it's years after I was saved. In essence, you're saying, but this will be my conversion. Or what if someone says to you, now you can get baptized because now we see that you're really a Christian by what we, what we watch in your life. No. You, you will know them by their fruits, yes. But the Bible shows you take someone's testimony of faith, you baptize them, and then for a long time, you look for the fruit. Baptism is not a litmus test for commitment to Christ. Wives. Are there some wives here? Raise your hand if you're a wife. I got a question for you. What if five to ten years down the road after you're married, your husband comes to you and says, here's a wedding ring. For the very first time, I'm giving you a wedding ring. I wanted to wait until I knew that I was really committed to you before I gave you this. I know now that I really love you. And I'm committed to you. Parents, you have a baby. You care for the child. But you don't name the baby or anything until his fifth birthday. Where you say, we're going to give you a name now. We've been holding on to this until we really knew we were committed to you. Baptism is an outward surrender that reflects the inward surrender that you made when you came to Christ. Why biblically it happens right after someone becomes a believer. That anyone of any age that understands the gospel and gives testimony that they believe in Jesus, that who, he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did, and the Bible says it clearly, and they turn from their sins and turn to Christ, it's for that group. And the growing in commitment to Christ that happens over time in the context of the care and the teaching ministry of the local church. That you experience life in the body of Christ and, in the, and there's discipline and nurture and admonition. And it's part of the normal Christian life. And those moments that you think, I am more committed to Christ now. That's not a time to go jump in the water and get baptized again. You just take the seasons and the marker points of your life that God brings you to and praise him for how good he is to you. Rejoice in the Lord that he was so good to save you and to keep you and to keep growing you. You see, baptism isn't everything. That's not nothing. It is something that Jesus commanded. And it pictures your salvation. And you should remember it. 
And you remember what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing. Lord, we thank you that uh, for every believer, you have freed us from the bondage to sin that enslaved us. And you provide to us true joy and happiness. And you heal our hearts and our hurts. And you keep your promises. And you endured the wrath that, that our sins deserved. And you gave even baptism as a, as a believer as step one on the path of a worshipful obedience. So Lord, please spur us and, 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 and spur in us a desire to humbly follow you. And do whatever we can to serve your agenda not ours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we close? There's nothing that my hands can do to save my guilty soul. I cannot cleanse my filthy sin or make my spirit whole for nothing but the blood of Christ can all my sins erase I dare not claim my righteousness but hide within His grace Tis Christ who saved me from the depths God's pardon I've received I'm washed within His precious blood My heart is sprinkled clean I'll praise the God of holiness Of justice, truth, and who guides me by his mighty hand to walk within his light while Satan weaves his shallow lies God speaks to me in love reminding me his only son has bought me with blood and Christ dispels my every doubt through him I am redeemed I love because he loved me first I live because he
please be praying for the Homes of Hope team that are finishing building the house and they come back tonight. Many missions opportunities. We have a uh, trip to Oaxaca, Mexico that's being planned for the end of June. If you're interested, please uh, go out onto the plaza and get some info about that. Please continue to pray for Ashley Ortlip serving in South Africa. And we're excited to have Bethany Ma back with us as of last Monday. And um, please stay if you can. Uh, come back as you, if you can. Uh, at the end of third hour, we'll be having believers' baptisms. And to close... Um, for our benediction, Romans 15, and verses 5 and 6. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us and allowing us to gather. Now send us by your grace for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.